The book of Acts is such an exciting book, has so much encouragement within it. You see the growth, you see the uh, enthusiasm that was a part of that early New Testament church. You see how these brethren took the gospel into all the world and it brought about the conversion of so many different people. Lord willing, this morning we're going to consider Acts chapter 10 and we're going to talk about the conversion of the centurion. If you're reading the book of Acts, you remember back in chapter 1 and verse 8 that Luke said, recording what Jesus said to the apostles, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As we've studied chapters 1 through 9, we realize that the gospel has gone from Jerusalem into that area of Judea. By the time we got to Acts chapter 8, we saw it going into the area of Samaria. And then last week, the conversion of Paul. And today, as we see it, going to the very ends of the earth. The conversion of Cornelius, though, stands out as a major shift. Because up until this point, the gospel has been going to people who were primarily Jews or those who had perhaps converted to Judaism. But now we have the gospel being preached to a man who is fully a Gentile. And the truth is, is that God desires all men to be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, who would have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That reflects the exact same thing that Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 1 and verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Cornelius represents a good man with a good heart desiring to be saved. And I've got to believe that there are some in our audience this morning that are of the same attitude, that are of the same mind as was Cornelius. Well, what can we learn from Acts chapter 10 about Cornelius? We're going to learn, first of all, about his character. In verses 1 and 2 and verse 22, we're going to read some things about his character. Then we're going to talk about the compassion that he exhibited as he did alms, he gave alms. He looked at people and saw their needs and met those needs with compassion. Third of all, we will look at the conviction that Cornelius had. He believed in God. He was a devout man and he wanted to know the truth. And that brought about the fourth part, the conversion of Cornelius. And that is so important for us to read, to listen to, to understand and if so need be, to apply to our lives. Let's begin with the first part about his character. And when Luke records about the life of Cornelius, he tells us a lot about the character that he possesses. He said in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, there was a certain man in Caesarea, Cornelius, by, uh, called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. 
Then you drop down to verse 22, and the servants of Cornelius, who was sent to Peter, said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by an holy angel to summon you to his house and hear words from you. I want you to notice both Luke and those who are his servants describe him as a good man or man of good character. One of the things that he begins with is to explain to us his military background, his military service. He is called a centurion. A centurion was a captain of a hundred men. And much like the captains in our modern uh, military, there are those who were officers over men, and they were officers over a hundred men. I think it's encouraging to read about their character. A historian by the name of Polybus describes for us the kind of character and lifestyle that these men possessed. He said centurions are required not to be bold and adventurous as much as good leaders of a steady and a prudent mind not prone to the offensive or start fighting wantonly, but able when overwhelmed and hard-pressed to stand fast and die at their post. <clears throat> Polybus is trying to tell us that these are men who are not prone to just uh, emotions. They're not the, the kind of people to rush into a battle and start one without thinking about what they're doing. These are to be men of good thought, Men of character. And when we look at the Bible, we find every time a centurion is mentioned in the Bible that they are men of good character. For just a minute, let me take you and let's look at the lives of three of them. In Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, there's a man who is a centurion who has a son who is near death. He wants the Lord to heal his son we read verse 1 now. He concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people. He entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he had heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him that he would come and heal his servant. And when he came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, For the one whom he should do this was deserving. Now listen carefully to what they say about this centurion. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Here's a man who is in this Roman army, but this man is a good man here in Luke chapter 7. He's a man who's so good, he loves all people, even people of a different race than himself, and has even built a synagogue in his community. The next one we go to Matthew 27 and we see Jesus hanging upon the cross. Not only are there Jewish officials there, but there's a Roman centurion. And he is there at the foot of the cross as Jesus is dying and we learn the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened and they feared greatly saying, truly this was 
the Son of God. It tells you about their character, that they are willing to listen. They're willing to weigh the evidence and to try to make a correct determination. Here's a man who says Jesus must have been the, the Son of God. Later in the book of Acts, as we get to chapter 27, verses 1 through 3, Paul is on his journey to Rome to appear before Caesar. And while Paul is being transported, the guard that was committed to him was also a centurion by the name of Julius. We read verse 1, and it was decided that we should sail to Italy. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So he entering the ship of Adramidium, we put out to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Notice now, here's a man who's learned Paul's nature, He knows he's not going to run off, and so he allows Paul some liberty. All the centurions of the Bible have been good folks. But he's a part of what's called the Italian regiment or the Italian band. And the regiment was 600 soldiers. So you would have six centurions in a regiment, so he was a part of theirs. Do you think about his character and our character? And I think about the things by which he was known. And we compare ourselves and we say, are we doing an honorable job at our committed position? He was a good centurion. He was a man that was well respected by those who served him. Are we the type of person whose work would commend us? In other words, people would look at us us and say, oh, he's good at his job because he's Honest and he's of a good character. And are we renoted for our religious fervor? Or are we noted as something else where we work? Now let's talk about his compassion. I want to direct you back to verse 2 again and where we read, He is a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people. Gave alms generously. Giving alms in the Bible is charitable deeds. It's when a person would perhaps see someone sit next to the gate of a city or the gate of a building. And then they would ask for someone to help them in their time of need. Alms was a way of showing compassion and charity, if you will, to those who are in need. Well, he was a man good at it. And Jesus described when a person does do alms or give charitable deeds, that he do so with a right attitude. Brother Tim prayed a little while ago in the prayer for the congregation that we ought to do things with the right attitude. If I'm going to give to someone who's in need, how should I give? Why should I give? What should be my motivation? Well, Jesus said, therefore, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father 
in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as do the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. What is Jesus saying is that when you and I give, we ought not be doing so so that others will look at us and say, oh, look at his giving, look how generous he is. No, do so privately, do so with the right attitude of heart. You can see it illustrated very well in the uh, account of the Good Samaritan. If you'll remember the man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, had fallen among thieves. They had beat him and left him half dead. A priest had passed by and also a Levite. But finally, a Samaritan comes by and we learn in verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. You see, in the, the attitude of the Good Samaritan is, Here's a man in need. I'm concerned about him. I'm willing to help him. And he gave, and he gave generously, but he didn't do so for others to see. Even if you're reading through the book of Acts along with us as we study this, you'll remember back in Acts 9 how that Peter came to raise Tabitha from the dead, Dorcas. And the description of her in chapter 9 and verse 36 It says there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. She gave alms. She was a good woman noted for what she had done. Well, see, the truth is, when you get to Acts 10 and verse 31, Cornelius is told by the angel Yes, Cornelius, God has seen you and God has seen what you have done. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Now folks, sometimes when we're tempted to do things for the wrong reason, we may think that we are getting the attention of men, but we always have the attention of God. He looks and he sees what we do and why we do it and how we do it. Well, now let's talk about him being a man of conviction. So we go back again to verse 2. Luke says, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household. He prayed to God always. And later when Cornelius is reflecting... When the angel of the Lord came to him, he was fasting. There's so much that you and I couldn't draw from the uh, text here about him being devout. But I want to draw attention to some of the words used here. 
he feared God. Now that may be a technical term. That's what they call Gentiles who worshipped the God of heaven but had not yet converted to be Jews. A God-fearer was those who would come to the synagogue and would listen to the sermon preach and would offer God prayers and yet had not converted to Judaism. Well, what we do know that when a person feared God is that he gave God respect as who he is, the creator of the universe. He was a monotheist. He believed in the one true God of the Bible. For that reason, he prayed to God. That is, he spoke with God. He petitioned God. He asked God things as well as give him glory and honor and praise. Just like our prayers ought to give glory to God, our prayers also ought to reflect God's needs or our needs in life that God can provide. But you'll notice that here's a man who is a genuine seeker. He wanted to know what God had said. Drop down with me to verses 30 through 33. So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call for, call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging by the house of Simon a tanner by the sea, when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all things commanded you by God. Here is a man who says, we've assembled together. We're ready to listen to you, Peter. The angel told me you would speak to me. I'm now willing to listen, to learn. A man with an open heart. A man with conviction that God has something to say and I need to listen to it. I want to draw attention to the fact he's concerned about his family also. It wasn't just that he felt the need to listen. But you drop back to verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. And had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius knows that Peter has something to teach him. But Cornelius not only loves his own soul, but he loves his family. He loves his close friends. He wants them to be saved as much as himself. You know, if you are truly convinced that the God of heaven is the true God and you are convinced that you need that message and you love your family and you love your friends, you will be a person who wants them to hear as well. But you see, he wanted to hear what Peter could tell him because he was fully convinced that there was one true God. Verses 13 and 14, And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words 
by which you and your household will be saved. He's going to tell you words. He was a spiritual seeker in a culture of secularism and mysticism. I've got to think that Cornelius was living in a world much like you and I live in. There's all these gods out here and people all feel like they've all got their own uh, ideas about things. But Cornelius is focused. And Cornelius is a man of conviction. I've looked, I've listened, I've learned, and now I've come to the conclusion there's just one God, and that one God is the God of the Jews, and I want to serve Him, but what do I need to do in order to be saved? Which leads us to the fourth part of our lesson, His conversion. Now I will tell you, most people, when they get to Acts chapter 10, and they read about the Cornelius, conversion of Cornelius, concentrate primarily upon his receiving the Holy Spirit. And they will point out that this is a unique instance where here's a man who receives the Holy Spirit before he has been baptized. Here's a man who has the gift of the Holy Spirit given to him just like the apostles did. I suggest to you that there was a specialness in this because Cornelius is a Gentile. And God wanted to teach Peter a lesson. He wanted to teach the Jews a lesson. And he even wanted to teach Cornelius a lesson. These people are accepted by God. And they got the lesson. You see, Cornelius, though, received the same message of the necessity of faith that had been preached everywhere else. It is a message of you must believe in the Christ. You must believe in the Son of God. Now the sermon is found in verses 36 through 43. Let's read that together and let's look and see if we can see the sermon that Peter preached that brought about the conversion of Cornelius. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Now before we continue on through verse 43, pause with me for just a moment to notice a few things from this reading. The word which God sent. The same word that had been preached to the Jews was now going to be preached to a Gentile. This is proof that there is one gospel for all the world. There's not a Jewish gospel and a Gentile gospel. There's one gospel, one faith. It was preaching peace through Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Romans 5 verse 1. That peace brings about a peace between God and man. That peace was interrupted because you and I sin, Isaiah 59 verses 
1 and 2. But he concludes verse 36 by saying, He is Lord of all. He said, that word you know. Cornelius had heard enough to know the difference between what the various people taught and he just didn't know it all yet. He said, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea from Galilee after the baptism of John. That tells us when the gospel began to be preached. He then talked about how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit this Jesus went about doing good. And Cornelius would think, that's what I've been trying to do, to do good and to help people. Now Peter continues, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all prophets gave witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Ah, now Cornelius' ears have perked up. Remission of sins. This Jesus, who went about doing good, was killed, but he rose from the dead. You're preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is through him that everyone receives forgiveness of sins. What did this result in? Look with me at verses 47 and 48. Can anyone forbid water that they should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and they asked him to stay a few days. You see what happens is Cornelius is preached to and then there is a call for him to obey under the unique circumstance, Cornelius did exactly the same thing to be saved that others had done. In fact, everybody who is saved will do exactly what Cornelius did. And now we've got to step back and say, well, what did Cornelius do? Number one, he heard words by which he would be saved. He heard the message from God. In this context, in verse 14, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. That's God's method, if you will. That's the way God intends for it to be accomplished. He intends that there be someone preach to you, tell you what you must do. You read in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That's the way God saves people. Don't expect somehow for God to smite you down to the ground while you're in the field and say to you, humble yourself and then you will be saved. That's not the way God has done it. 
I will tell you very plainly whether it is Paul in Acts 9 who you must go into the city and it will be told you what you must do or it is Cornelius in this case you will hear words by which you and your household will be saved. The second thing is he believed that message. Verse 43 To him all the prophets gave witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Whoever believes in him, Jew or Gentile, believes in him. In Acts 15 verse 7, as Peter reflects upon this, he said, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Many brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should Hear the word of the gospel and believe. But a man who had heard and a man who had believed was then commanded to be baptized. And go back to verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. He didn't suggest it would be a good thing to do. He didn't recommend it. He commanded them to do that. When you and I study the accounts of conversion that Luke recorded in the book of Acts, there's a common denominator throughout all of those. There were people who were preached to. There were people who believed the message about the Christ. There were people who had repented of their sins. And there were people who were baptized For the remission of those sins. As a result, Cornelius was added to the Lord's church just like anyone else and everybody else who has been saved. You read in Acts 11, verses 17 and 18. If therefore God gave them the same gift he gave us, when we believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. God gave them the same acceptance. And that's like chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Here's the number. And the number grows as everyone obeys the gospel. You know, it'll be just like this morning. This morning, if somebody comes forward and says, I want to be baptized, you know when you're baptized, then God adds you to your, His body, the church. But for all of His goodness, as righteous as Cornelius was, he was not saved prior to his conversion. I know there's some in this audience who are good, moral people. You are people of compassion. If your neighbor is in need, you will drop everything you're doing and go help your neighbor. You're a good Samaritan. But our good works cannot take us to heaven. Cornelius' good works... As great as he was in his community and among his people, he needed the gospel. He needed to be saved. He was a good and honest man with a desire to serve God. And he didn't quibble. He didn't complain. He didn't say to Peter, I understand all this other, but why do I have to be baptized? 
When he was commanded to be baptized, he did exactly that. There's still many good people with good, kind hearts. And they care about their destiny. They care about where they're going to go. I've got to believe that there are some among our number today. Why don't you do what Cornelius did? Why don't you, after having listened, believe in the God of heaven, believe in Jesus Christ as Son, and come forward and be baptized? That's the Lord's invitation that has been extended from Pentecost until this day. And it is an invitation to you to become a child of God. If we're among those who need prayers, we'll pray with you. We're going to sing the song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Will you let the Lord have His own way in your life? Would you come as together we stand and sing?